church. Good morning, good morning. Bridge kids, you may be dismissed. We have an awesome Bridge Kids ministry. Thank you to each of you that have uh, participated in that and volunteering for that as well. My two-year-old wakes up in the morning and says, Is it a beautiful morning, Dad? Yes, buddy, it's a beautiful morning today. We have an awesome privilege to enjoy his creation and, and uh, come together in worship. So I'm thrilled you're here. If you are visiting, my name is John Peters. I'm a pastoral intern here at the Bridge. Our lead pastor, Jerry Kellen, is on a sabbatical this summer. Um, we have the, it's a privilege of uh, joining us in worship this morning, but otherwise on a sabbatical this summer. So I have the awesome privilege to come before you, open up God's Word, and, uh, and speak throughout this summer. We'll be in Psalm 51 today if you have a Bible. You may open up. I'll begin with Psalm 51, verses 2 and 3. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Please pray with me as we get started. Father God, you give us the privilege of coming together to worship together, to come into your presence through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and through the open grave, through the power of your Spirit that you give to us and give to your church. Father, we know your gospel is the hope of the world. And, uh, Father, I believe your church is the primary way you've chosen to communicate and live out that hope. And so we have this incredible privilege to come together to worship, to be a part of reflecting your glory and expanding your kingdom in this world. Amen. There's a well-known scene in Shakespeare's play Macbeth. Do we have any English majors out there? I'm not. But for those of you like me who uh, may have never read it or forgot whatever you had read, uh, Macbeth is basically like the movie Braveheart, except when it's not. But it's, there's a Scottish warrior, so basically like Braveheart. <laughs> so there's this famous scene in Shakespeare's play Macbeth. Um, where Lady, Lady Macbeth, who is Macbeth's wife, is being observed. She's been sleepwalking, and her attendant has gotten worried. And so her attendant calls a, a doctor into the castle to observe her, try to, to see what's going on. And the attendant says, describing to the doctor, she says, she'll get up, she'll get dressed, She'll go into another room, she'll write something down, she'll read it out loud, and then seal it up. And then go back to her room. And the doctor says, well, what is she saying? What, when she reads this out loud, what is she saying? And the attendant won't repeat it. So, during his observation, he's there at the castle one night, and in fact, she does get up and she starts sleepwalking. 
And she's rubbing her hands. She's rubbing her hands furiously. And the doctor says, says, what is she doing? The attendant says, well, she's trying to wash her hands. And so in the midst of this observation, Lady Macbeth, she calls out uh, these these well-known lines. She says, there's still a spot. There's still a spot there. Come out. There's still a spot there. Come out. When will my hands ever be clean? I can still smell the blood on my hands. None of the perfumes in Arabia could make my hands smell good again. You see, earlier in the play, Lady Macbeth had plotted with her husband, who at the time was a Scottish warrior. She had plotted with her husband to invite the real king to stay with them. And so the real king comes and he he dines with this conquering warrior of his to celebrate with him. And he stays at their estate. But during the night, they murder him. And Macbeth becomes the new king of Scotland. And so this is weighing on her conscience. She can't get rid of, she can't outrun the shadow of her guilt and sin. And she just keeps trying to work work harder. If she would just keep washing 15 more minutes, she might cleanse her hands, so she thinks. Well, this was written about 400 years ago. Shakespeare wrote that in 1606. Last week we looked at, this has been a problem for the whole human race ever since Genesis 3. Ever since man and woman, the human race was created. We've been dealing with the problem of sin. And that goes all throughout today, to the very present, 2017. So this is a problem faced by humans all throughout human history. The good news is, the Bible has an answer. But we'll see, and we'll look at this morning, two common misconceptions that people will try to answer this. So, before we go any further, just to bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us throughout this summer, we're in a series on prayer called Prayer, Take a Breath. And we began in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Over the first four messages, we began in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We began in Genesis 2, 7. We looked at how God uh, breathed the breath of life into humans and how prayer is a form of giving back to God what he first gave to us. And we focused on first just focusing on coming into the presence of God and how the privilege we have through the Son, through the Spirit to do that. We looked at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. And how appreciating God's power through creation of both space and time helps give us perspective in our prayers. We looked at Genesis 1.27 and 28. How we're made in the image of God. And how, the, how understanding how we were made to reflect God's glory and expand God's kingdom can help focus our prayers on these two foundational truths, that we are here to reflect the glory of God, to make his name great, and expand his kingdom, and how that can impact our prayer life. And last week, we got to Genesis 3, and the sobering reality of sin, and how sin separates us from God, 
It separates us from who God designed us to be. It separates us from others. And it separates us from creation as God intended it to be. And so we talked about how we can pray in understanding each of those areas that we are separated and the privilege, again, we have through the Son, His shed blood for us, the empty tomb, and through the power of the Spirit that we have today as a church um, to address that. So now in our series, we are going to transition to the Psalms. These are more traditional passages on prayer. And so today we'll be in Psalm 51. In the next few weeks, we'll look at a few other Psalms. The Psalms were the prayer books of Israel. They were the prayer books that Jesus would have used. They contain every emotion, confession, joy, lament, thanksgiving. They contain it all. And we'll get to look over the next few weeks uh, with a few of those emotions and uh, understand how that can impact our prayer life as well. So that's a preview Looking ahead of where we'll be, we'll take a look at the Psalms in our next stage of looking at prayer. Um, But first, before we get into Psalm 51, we're going to back up and look at some context to Psalm 51. This is a confession psalm, okay? So this is a confession prayer of King David. And King David, like Macbeth, was a conquering warrior. And just as... Macbeth and Lady Macbeth couldn't outrun the shadow of their own sin and guilt. They being fictional characters, but that story reflecting a very common human pattern. And in fact, going back to the Bible, uh, one of the best known examples is David's sin. How he tries to outrun the shadow of his own sin and guilt. And that's part of the context of Psalm 51. And so we'll look at 2 Samuel so uh, you may keep a finger in Psalm 51. We'll also be in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 as well. And each of these examples will show two different but misguided ways that humans commonly try to deal with the shadow of their own sin and guilt. The first, the fictional example of Lady Macbeth, is just trying to work harder just trying to do more, just trying to volunteer a little bit more. Work harder. That's the mentality. Where we also see this in the Bible is through the examples of, say, the Pharisees. Where they originally had put, uh, had read God's law and not wanting to break God's law, they had put rules around God's law. And then not wanting to break those rules, they put rules around the rules. And so pretty soon we have the pattern of empty religion, just trying harder. And somehow that would make us right with God. One of the other examples that we see, and that we'll see in David's example here in 2 Samuel, is just trying to cover it up. We have one sin, try to cover it with another, we try to cover that sin with another, and we get this snowball effect of sin. So we'll we'll see two different ways, misguided as they are, to try to cover up and outrun the shadow of guilt and sin. Thankfully, the Bible has an answer. The Bible has an alternative. Through the grace of God, 
there's this great exchange that we'll look at. And we'll look ahead to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 that we'll talk a little bit more about this. So first, going back to the context, 2 Samuel, beginning in uh, chapter 11. And again, we're asking, we're asking that question. Are you trying to outrun the shadow of your own sin and guilt? Are you trying to do that by just working harder? Are you trying to do that by just covering it up? 2 Samuel, verse 11, or chapter 11. I will, for the sake of time, I will briefly summarize the whole chapter. Once we get into Psalm 51, we will go verse by verse. But for setting up the context, um, a real quick summary. 2 Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab, his general, out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Okay? So the first problem David had. He was king. In the spring when kings went off to war, he was at home. Okay? So he's home. He's not where he should be, leading his army. He's home one night... He's on the roof, kind of looking out over the city, sees a beautiful woman bathing, finds out who's that. He calls her to his palace. He found out that she, in fact, was the wife of one of his warriors. He calls her to the palace. He sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant, Bathsheba. So David's got a problem. He has attendants. He has palace guards. This could get out once her pregnancy becomes visible. And on top of that, everybody knows her husband is off fighting. What would become of her? So David starts to sweat. And he devises this scheme. He invites her husband back from the front lines, ostensibly to give an update on how the war is going. So he invites her husband Uriah back after, you know, the facade of getting an update on the war. He says, Here's a present. Go home. Take a rest. See your wife. And then tomorrow, you can go back to the front lines. The underlying message, if people know that your husband is back home for a night, then there will be an answer to this pregnancy. But Uriah is a man of honor. And so for a warrior coming home, other than updating the king, while his commanding officer and his fellow men were in the field, He was not going to go home and enjoy the comforts of home. And so he sleeps outside the gate with the other servants. So David still has a problem. So he calls Uriah back in the next day and he said, "Uh, Why didn't you go home? 
What a perfect opportunity. See your wife. Relax. And Uriah says, While the Ark of the Covenant doesn't have a house, and while my commanding officer and my fellow warriors are out on the battlefield, I will not go home. So David thinks a little bit longer, and he says, Okay, we'll come back for dinner. And so Uriah comes back for dinner that night, and he gets him drunk. He keeps feeding him. The wine's still coming. Uriah, one more glass. He thinks, then he'll go home. Then he'll go home, see his wife. But Uriah, again, sleeps at the gate of the palace. So David's problem is not solved. So he thinks, and the next day, he writes up a letter. He seals it. He gives it to Uriah, and he says, Take this back to Joab. Take this back to your commanding officer. Now, David already knows that Uriah is a man of honor, so he's not going to open up the letter that's not intended for him. And in the letter, he tells Joab, he says, Put Uriah on the front lines of the fiercest battle. And then tell everyone else to withdraw at some point, unbeknownst to Uriah. And he'll be left vulnerable, and he'll likely get killed. And so it's done. Uriah dies in battle through this scheme. Bathsheba mourns her husband. David, being the good king, comforts the wife, the widow wife of the fallen warrior, brings him in as one of his other wives. What a nice thing to do. Surprise, she's pregnant. Oh, they could say it was a premature birth and keep the baby out of the limelight for a while. So he thinks his problem is solved by just trying to cover up one sin with another and cover up that sin with another. And so we see these two common ways Just trying to work harder, do more, or just cover it up. These two ditches that you can fall into when when dealing with sin and guilt. So what's what's a biblical answer? What's a biblical alternative to that? Well, it's not splitting the difference. It's a it's an entirely different way. It's not trying to do more, it's understanding that God has done everything through his son. It's not trying to cover up your sin. It's openly bringing it before your God who already knows it. Now we'll look at Psalm 51 here in a second. But David obviously also had a powerful change of heart. Now what, what was instrumental in that? As we look ahead in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, we, we find out more. So again, if you keep your finger in Psalm 51... Looking back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, I will read these first seven verses. Second Samuel 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan, who was a prophet, to David. This is immediately after all of these, this scheme that we just talked about. The Lord sent his prophet Nathan to David. 
And when he came to him, he said, he tells him a story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one sheep and lamb that he had bought. He raised it and he grew up, and it grew up and had, um, it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man's house, but the, the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for a meal for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Nathan said to David, You are the man. And some point soon after that, David kneels down in confession and writes Psalm 51. Turning to Psalm 51, the heading says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a contrite heart. God, you will not despise. May it Please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on the altar. I'm going to look at five quick areas, five things we learn about an appropriate biblical response to sin from this prayer song, Psalm 51. The first is to rely on God first. David cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, verse 1, according to your unfailing love, your uh, the Hebrew word there is, is hesed love. It's a, it talks about a, um, a covenant love between God and his people. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, and according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity. David understands that he can't hide his sin from God. God knows it. He can't just work harder make one more sacrifice. There was no sacrifice for murdering somebody. So he can't cover it up from God. He can't work harder by himself to make him right with God. So the first inappropriate biblical response is to rely on God's grace, not your own works. Continuing on. The second would be repentance that's genuine. Okay, repentance that's genuine. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned. You are right and justified when you judge. So David doesn't ignore the fact that there's consequence to sin. He knows he can't outrun his own shadow. This is genuine repentance and is powerful in healing in prayer. Continuing on. Cast, this is Moving ahead to the middle of the psalm. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So, talk about relying on God, God's grace. Repentance that's genuine. Third step would be seeking restoration. Seeking restoration. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David is seeking restoration and right relationship with God. First. And then as appropriate with those that have been offended. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So in Psalm 51, relying on God's grace, repentance that's genuine, seeking restoration, number four, 
finding, if possible, something redemptive. Okay? 13. I will teach transgressors your way. So because of David's sin, never having want, or never wanting to repeat it, but asking, the, but asking the question, is there something that I have learned, something redemptive, that could teach, help teach somebody else, help warn somebody else of the trial that I've been through? And so David writes this prayer down. And it was collected amongst the Hebrew Psalms. The church includes it in our Bible through the power of the Spirit. And so hundreds of millions of believers since that time have been warned about the consequences that David went through. So God didn't cause David to sin. But when David did, the Spirit was able to use that in some redemptive way to warn others and warn us about the sick consequences of sin. Continuing on. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. This is starting back in verse 14. O God, you who are my God and Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. So the fifth and final point here I'll have for looking at what we can learn as a biblical response to sin would be seeking righteousness. Seeking righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Well, in the original languages that the Bible is written in, Greek and Hebrew, um, it talks about God's covenant love and God's perfect standard as being righteous, his will being righteous, as being just. Our English Bibles translate that both righteousness and justice, but basically that's, it's the same, and, uh, same meaning there in terms of the, the original author's. So justice, or um, righteousness, is measuring up to God's perfect will, God's perfect standard. Now, we can look at definitions of that. Other believers throughout time have even put that in uh, somewhat of an artistic format. And so here in a second, uh, I'll call up another definition of righteousness. One that you're probably not as familiar with. This may, be, uh, may appeal uh, to those of you that are a little, little bit more visual in nature. This is righteousness. According to hundreds of millions of Chinese believers. Okay? Just look at it for a minute. Look at how the lines flow. We'll come back to this in a second. But to hundreds of millions of Christ followers in China, this is righteousness. What a beautiful artistic 
representation. When Jesus comes, over 17 times in the New Testament, he is called the Son of David. Well, why would he be called the Son of David? He wasn't a, you know, David wasn't his father, he wasn't his grandfather. Well, Jesus was in the line of David, about 14 generations removed. But you see, in 2 Samuel, David had received a prophecy. One of the earlier prophecies he had received from Nathan was that God, instead of David trying to build God's house, build a temple, God would build David's house. And by that, he meant from the line of David, the Messiah would come. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. From the line of David, there would be a king whose house would reign forever whose throne would reign forever. This pointed ahead to a deliverer, to a Messiah. Ultimately, the New Testament connects that Christ fulfills that promise. Christ is the son of David. Where David failed, Christ succeeded. Turning ahead, to get a little bit clearer picture of this, turn ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he's describing this great exchange that takes place. Okay, because you can't just cover over your sin. You can't outrun your sin. And so, what's the solution? 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Only through Christ can we be reconciled with our Creator God. That God was reconciled in the world to Himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's the main, the main verse here. God made him, Jesus, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. Okay, I'll read that one more time. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have this great exchange. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, 
okay, who's called the Lamb of God. Through his sacrifice, he, ta- he takes our sin and we get his righteousness. Okay? Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have this beautiful and awesome great exchange. He takes our sin. We become declared righteous. We become declared right with God through faith. That's the gospel. I want to go back to our earlier slide. Did you think about that for a minute? What that means? Go to the next slide, if you would. The Chinese symbol for righteousness is actually two different symbols, one on top of the other. The first is the lamb on the top. And on the bottom is is you and I. Don't you see how this beautifully artistic representation is a picture of the gospel where the blood of the lamb covers your sin covers my sin so what are some applications for prayer we're in a series on prayer what are some applications for us in prayer number one pray for a Nathan in your life that's honest enough and open enough to confront you when you might need to be confronted in your sin. In love, but in truth. Pray for a Nathan in your life who if you go off and run into a ditch, values you enough in love to say, hey, What you're doing is going to destroy you. Those are valuable friends. Don't take them lightly. Pray for them. Pray that if you don't have one, pray that God would bring you one. In our church, we this is part of um, what the Christian church can call discipleship, where a guy meeting with a guy, lady meeting with a lady, you can talk and be open and uh, have that accountability. Pray for a Nathan in your life. Secondly, stop running. Stop trying to outrun the shadow of your own sin. It's not a matter of just volunteering a little bit more, doing a few more good works to make you right with God. Christ has already done it. It is already done. The work is done. Your part is faith. Good works does not lead to a right relationship with God. Now, somebody in a right relationship with God, one of the fruits of that, to pour out of that, will be service and will be expanding God's God's kingdom, and will be good works. But good works by themselves do not 
brings somebody into right relationship with God. So stop running. In grace, confess the sin that God already knows. Rely on God. Repent genuinely. Seek restoration through the shed blood and open tomb of Jesus Christ. In faith, there may be a a redemptive way that um, learning from your sin can help benefit others. Because Christ has this great exchange. He took on our sin so that we might be declared righteous. If your heart has just recently been transformed by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another application that believers for over 2,000 years have done is to show that publicly, recreating the drama of Christ's death and resurrection through a baptism. Many of you have probably been baptized already. That's wonderful. If you haven't, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or if this truth this morning has changed your heart to become a follower of Christ, come up, please talk with me. I would love to celebrate the fact that you and your heart have been transformed to become a Christ follower. And I would encourage you to strongly consider that public profession of faith through baptism the drama that the church has done in celebration of Christ's death and resurrection for over 2,000 years. So I would urge you to consider that as well. Finally, application for prayer. David, in repentance, knelt down, wrote out this psalm. If you haven't journaled before in your prayer life, I would encourage you to try it. Whether it's a simple journal, whether it's writing a song, whether it's um, creating a work of art that, uh, similar to what we had you know, just looked at before. Each of these ways can be powerful in prayer. Prayer doesn't have to be just eyes closed. You can pray while you're creating. You can pray while you're writing. You can pray um, while you're writing a song and singing. Each of these are powerful ways that believers throughout time have used in their confession and in their prayer life as well. So I'll wrap up in prayer, but I, want, I, I would urge you to consider each of those things. Number one, pray for a Nathan in your life. Number two, stop running. Christ has already done it through his death, through his resurrection, If that has changed your heart, I would urge you to consider uh, public profession of faith through baptism. And number three, write down your prayers. Write down your prayers in song. Write them in a journal. Create art. These can all be valuable and therapeutic and healing forms of confession that God created that we can use. Please pray with me. Father God, you have created us and you created us to 
reflect your glory, to expand your kingdom. Father, when you first created us, it was good. We enjoyed perfect presence with you. Face to face, walking alongside. But Father, unfortunately, sin has separated us from you, and sin separates us from who you designed us to be. Sin separates us from others, and sin separates us in this world. But Father, the good news is that we don't just have to try harder. The good news is that we can't just cover up the sin that you already know. Father, the good news is a great exchange that your Son, Jesus Christ, took on our sin and our punishment, and that we, through faith, can receive his righteousness. We can be declared just and righteous in your eyes and be reconciled to you through the work of Christ. So, Father, now we pray in his name and we pray through the power of the Spirit that you've given us and that you've given your church from that day till now. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the awesome power of confession, for the privilege to come before you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.